One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, everyone. Um, Chris here. This episode will be coming to you in two parts. They're both released at the same time. So listen to part one and then straight away you can listen to part two. Hope you enjoy it. I'm so excited about this episode. It's such a brilliant one. We are live. Boom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Homo Sapiens. I'm Alan Cumming. I'm Christopher Sweeney. And we're very excited this week because our guest is Amru Al-Qadi. So Amru Al-Qadi goes by the name of Glamru, is a Muslim drag queen. But that would be far too simplistic because Amru is a, a non-binary drag artist, writer, actor. Performer. Performer. Yes, many, many things. Just a really fascinating person fascinating person who i actually know um because this series is about trailblazers and amru is without doubt a trailblazer because there are not unfortunately as many non-binary muslim drag queens as we would hope there were um, <laughs> i know and but i met amru because they were doing a tv show that was a pilot and they sent me the script and asked me if I wanted to direct it and I loved the script and um, that's how we met so we ended up hanging out a bit and ah. they also write with a writer called Matthew Hammond Knott who is incredibly funny and wrote a film called Bonobo which everybody must look at if they are a James Norton fan because it's one of his first ever things um, oh gosh but it's exciting to be talking to Amru today because they have done incredible stuff. What are you looking forward to? Well, I just think they're so full of contradictions or seemingly full of contradictions. And that's what really interests me. They were, you know, rebelled against their Iraqi family. They were a queer kid. And then, unbeknownst to their family, they um, got this scholarship to Eton. So all, <laughs> all of a sudden they end up in Eton. I would have thought if I was a sort of a queer Iraqi kid and wanted to rebel and get away to a place where I felt I would be amongst people who understood and liked me, Eton would be the last place I would have gone to. So I'm really fascinated to find out about that. And I don't think there's, you know, there's not many uh, Muslim Iraqi uh, non-binary drag queens. There's not many Muslim Iraqi non-binary Cambridge educated drag queens either because they went on to Cambridge after that. So I'm just really fascinated about, mm. I'm just really fascinated about all of it, all of them. I can't wait. <laughs> And it's been quite fun. It was it was really fun watching Amru during lockdown and seeing that you know them saying how drag was such an important part of their life and there was no opportunity to get dressed up in drag. So then they just decided they were just going to get dressed up in drag in their sitting room and yes. the whole the whole look. I love that. Yeah. And so that's I'm really interested about whether or not they'll be in drag for the interview. I hope. so. Oh, do you think we'll get the full service? I don't know. It's quite. Is it, what time? It's quite. British time's quite late, so maybe 
not too early to get into drag. I, well, I listen, don't know. We've I, dressed up, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing I sports gear. Wearing? I did some exercise in eight hours ago, and um, uh, Alan, oh, wearing, Alan, you look very fetching. I won't make any comments about what I'm you're wearing. wearing. I tell you what, I'll go from the bottom. I'm wearing my Croc sandals that are sort of like uh, Birkenstocks, but Crocs made that make them. Works for I'm evening, wearing, works for daytime. Mm-hmm, and I'm wearing uh, orange, sort of those fleecy orange and black socks that you're supposed to wear as like you know, in between a sock and a slipper, as oh, okay, well as the yeah. sandal. Comfort then I'm wearing, first. Uh, dark blue uh, overalls or coveralls mm-hmm. and then i'm wearing a sort of a tartan headband to keep my unruly mad professor hair out of the way and uh with my unruly beard and um my glasses it's a it's a look and head to alancoming.com <laughs> forward slash shop where you can <laughs> where you can buy a homo sapiens t-shirt by the That's way right, look at, oh god look can anyone that. feel the- and a sweatshirt and a sweatshirt. Why don't I trail yeah. the sweatshirts? Much higher margins. Um, <laughs> now we've got that out of the way. It's time <laughs> for us to chat to Amru Arkadi. Can I ask a question to the group? Do you see any link between nice lighting and queerness? Because I do. Oh, my God. Yes. God, we're right in there, Chris, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> no fucking about. We said it was the queer <laughs> women's hour and we're off. <laughs> Grab your pashminas, people. Dim lighting is quite queer because we're quite scared of being fully exposed, aren't we? Let's say Blanche Dubois, that merciless glare. This is my theory. Who knows if it's right? I think that for our gener- our generation, obviously Amru is a bit younger, but... Um, are, what, the- are you including me in your generation? That's so nice of you. Alan, listen, this is a long relationship and it needs to go well. Um, uh, is that the, I think the trauma of being queer makes you very sensitive. And, and that means you're very sensitive to light. This is what I think. I agree with you because also bright light reminds me of that moment when you leave a nightclub and the sun has risen and you're just like, oh God, yeah, I have to... Yeah engage with the world again yes. and that really terrifies me that light like sometimes i'll be like just put me in a cab i don't no. want to know like Ooh. i'll cover my eyes it's sort of straight people walking their kids and they've just got up and you're just like and you're covered in how many glitter have i had in me yes. yeah exactly. are you talking about fire and um, voxel by any chance <gasps> um no fire uh, yeah well burger it's more like yeah fire and voxel oh god i've never had a good time there really is that still is that still alive? Shut down, I think so. Oh, it shut down, did it? I remember once doing a film and uh, uh, on a sat and our and our ba- our base camp for the f- in London. This was and the base <laughs> camp was like quite near um, fire, and um, uh, like you know we were like driving from base <clears> camp to the location to the actual set, and we would pass early in the morning at, at the weekend the club and just seeing people like I'm going to work and I'm all been in makeup had my breakfast going to work and seeing people like kind of all smacked out coming out of the thing blinking away and i just thought and we were like, oh look at them they're just coming out and i thought oh my god that would have been me last weekend because i actually had had been doing that the weekend prior to the film starting i thought how embarrassing <laughs> if i was not in this scene and my my castmates were going to a thing and they saw me coming out all sweaty yeah. you just feel like you're not an adult and you're on a completely different plane of reality you're just like when real people walk past you're just like hi we don't we're not 
part of the same world right now. Yes. I love it. Yeah. yeah, me too. It's it's so funny because I remember it's so funny you saying about the buggy thing, like and an, a grown up with a buggy. Because I remember when the first time I ever went to fire, I took a pill and it made me sick. So I ran mm. outside of fire to throw up. And as I was puking, I looked up and saw this woman walking with her kids and I was like Chris how did we take a wrong turn this evening <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I want to ask you I want to do a deep dive because I'm absolutely fascinated by you in general oh, actually, thanks, but also son. I'm just really I want to talk to you about Eton oh god okay tell the world what Eton is like or what it is and what it's like and uh, yeah, okay, so Eton College is uh, probably the most expensive or one of the most expensive all-boys um, private school in the UK, which throughout history for centuries has essentially been a breeding ground for sort of mm. gentry and aristocratic power. Uh, many prime ministers have gone there. The current one, Boris Johnson, has gone there. David Cameron went there. Um and you know it's like a sort of time warp you're supposed to you have to wear tails black you know black tail coats and and waistcoats and bow ties every day every day every day um which was not as fun as i thought it would be um and um you know it's a it's a definitely a symbol of kind of the enduring british class system really um mm. and it is you know, it's like a self-professed sort of we are the best of British. It seems to me that, you you know, when you were uh, younger and you were kind of rebelling against your family and your um, Iraqiness and your religion and your queerness, or not rebelling against that, but rebelling, rebelling against the confines you were in with those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would not have thought that the first thing you might do would be to get a secret scholarship to Eton. <laughs> what was that about? Yeah, it, it was um, definitely flawed decision-making, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I think what it, I think it was about many things. I mean, we came to the UK when I was, it was just before the Iraq war. So like around 2003, we'd come just before that. And um, I was excited to be in the UK. My, I had a great time back in Bahrain and Dubai, but, you know, I was definitely realizing what my desires were by, you know, 11, 12, 13, which is around that time. And so, and, you know, being in an Islamic country, which was so kind of constantly reminding me that that was a problem. I was really excited to get to the UK because I just thought, well, this is where Cats, the musical is. And I was obsessed with Cats <laughs> yeah. growing up. And I thought like, if I could just be in the country that has, We you should know, point out that Andrew is wearing a, a sort of leopard skin. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Jacket. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You look like um, cavity. <laughs> thank you. Well, if McCavity was wearing Cavalli, honey. Um, oh. I'm kidding. <laughs> clang. Name clang. Clang. Um, name drop. Sorry. Clang. <laughs> yeah, so I was just really excited. And I remember being quite conflicted because when, um, you know, Blair sort of announced the Iraq war, I remember my parents being really, I mean, heartbroken, you know, because they literally had a home in Baghdad. And it was, and I remember just being a bit like, well, I'm sort of hating my parents right now in quite a massive way because they were really, you know, as you mentioned, um, putting a lot of confines on me because they could see that I was just, you know, different to everyone around them. And so 
I kind of was like, well, I'm living in the UK now, which means that this is the side that I'm on in quite a sort of binary, basic way that kids can do. Because, you know, you're just you can't really see the big picture yet. And then and how old are you at this point? 13 by this point. Mm-hmm. And th- by this point, I just was definitely, you know, knew I was gay and was really just there was so much um forcible resistance from from both my parents and also the family at large to the way that i was going and also they had a lot of rhetoric which was although we've brought you to the uk just don't become british please you know your family's iraqi you know i was only really ever surrounded by iraqis at home and and um, some of whom are wonderful, some of whom, you know, aren't because, you know, family's just that way. And, um, but in my head, I just thought, well, you know, the kind of broad consensus here is that I can't be gay and the way that I'm going is wrong. So I'm going to just fully identify with being British. And, you know, so I stopped speaking Arabic. I stopped fasting, which was a real moment when I would sort of, and I was an asshole about it. I mean, I was eating pork like in front of my parents during ramadan what a little shit yeah well i mean i was a kid thank you very much (laughs) um but yeah i wasn't like i don't i I don't really see myself as purely a victim back then because i was just like and i only had one picture of it i was i think it's like when you're coming out or you're realizing you're gay for a while your entire world is about just that one thing and Mm -hmm. so it was just like well if my parents are telling me that Islam and family won't handle it, then I can't have anything to do with Islam or anything to do with family. And they are really anti-British because of the war. And they're really anti-British because of they're nervous about me assimilating here. So I'm going to start fantasizing about the most British things ever. And Eton College was obviously like, you know, the biggest British fantasy. You know, you, I think I also just thought, well my family are going to reject me because I've been given enough clues. So I need to um, develop as many kind of tools to do well in this country. And in my head out. Yeah, another structure. And I was desperately looking for structure in a way that I think loads of kids are. So I was like, let's replace Islam. Let's replace Allah and put Christ in there. Let's just see what happens with that. Let's replace, um, you know, uh, my entire heritage, which... You know, I do. I, there was a lot of it that I loved, and 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 you know, go for constipated British aristocracy. Um, and figgy pudding. <laughs> I tried very hard at Eton. I would literally go around being like, "Hello, governors. You know how we doing?" <laughs> and like, sort of, um, you know, um, you know, oh, it's raining cats and dogs. Wouldn't you say, mateys? And they'd just be like, "No one talks <laughs> like that." Didn't um, you have a pin board as well, like a beard pin board? Where... I did, I did. Tell us about that. Well, there was definitely no... I, I mean, I, my mum slipped in a Quran in my suitcase and I hid that um, under my bed that I lost my virginity on, which is still something that scars me a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the pin board just had me with... Uh, white girls from my old school who I begged to just let them pretend they were my girlfriends. I mean, I was literally building, like, I arrived as like a sort of... Oh, what, you manufactured this pin board to, to, oh, so that it would look like you, what your life was like? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I, I just thought I'm just setting, you know, a new me and I didn't want anyone to be like, you know, I wanted to just look natural in the tales, which obviously I didn't because it was just like the only Iraqi in town who was like, 
the gayest thing ever. And and my house changed name. It was called ASR before I arrived in a term in. In my honor, they called it gaySR. Um, wow! Just just That's because nice. it was just like obvious to, um, and and um, you know, I tried. To, to, I even auditioned because I was always a performer. I auditioned for the chapel choir in front of loads of boys who were all Christian, and they asked me to prepare a hymn, and I sang "All I Want for Christmas Is You." Um, <laughs> That's you know, past. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. What did they do? Like, I love to have seen their faces. But Amr, um, how did you get to Eton? That's the bit I'm kind of fascinated by. I mean, how do you? How does a wee boy from an Iraqi family? Where were you living? I was living in Chiswick at the time, and you were going to the local comprehensive in Chiswick. Not the. It was a. It was like an international school. Was there other people? Did you know other people who were who went to Eton? No, 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 no. It was a very. It was very bad academically as a school. How, how did you get, like, how, how did you find out about, what did you have to do to get in? Um, well, when I came to the UK um, um, and had already had OCD by this point, and, you know, I, I talk about this in my book, but with Islam, you um, are taught to sort of visualize angels on your left and right shoulder and bad deeds go on your left and good deeds go on your right. And you're supposed to um, continually sort of basically just count the whole time. And my left shoulder was sort of dwarfing my right sort of by age seven. And um, I was just constant. And actually chiropractors always say that my left side is harder to adjust, which I think I was going to say you might have like a, a, a stoop because of that. Yeah. Mm. And I also have had, um, I'm fine by the way, but I had, when I was at Cambridge, I had tumors, on my left leg, which were benign, but my left side has suffered. I will say that. Wow. Um, um, and so my thing when I came to the, when I came was just, it was, I think definitely a manifestation of, I've got so many bad points. I need to now get good points wherever I could. And I translated that into just academics, just, I need to just, and I don't think this is, I think a lot of queer people, and this has been written about by loads of queer people, you know, that sort of um, drive for perfection that a lot of gay people have, whether it's kind of aesthetic or in their career or whatever, because you feel obviously that you've, you've got this failing. Um, and for me, it was quite extreme because I was told, you know, you're going to go to hell or your parents are going to do this. Or, so I just thought I'll just get a hundred percent in everything. And so, you know, I was, I, I was, a, you know, a straight student um, and had just Googled, um, eaten when I was just fantasizing about it and saw that they offered these th- things called um, sixth form scholarship. When I told my parents, they were actually quite in in a kind of classic Iraqi way. It was a fun thing to boast about because they thought, mm. you know, um, mm. 
So, I mean, I think they were actually quite happy I was going as well because I was becoming, I mean, home was just a nightmare for everyone. And isn't there, right. isn't there a sort of a, a, an inbuilt kind of bullying and kind of, there's a thing, do they still have fags? It's a, a system where like a younger student has to oh, be a yeah. sort of a slave for an older student. Does that still um, exist? So that, that, that had gone by the time that I arrived, though it is, was there in a kind of structural sense in the like fact that the first year boys, so, you know, the 13 year olds who just arrived would have to, you know, deliver laundry to the older boys, <laughs> deliver the, the laundry to the older boys. And I mean, Eton is all about hierarchies. I mean, you know, you know, in your final year, you get given a different kind of waistcoat to differentiate you if you're a house captain you wear like a green one if you're part of this kind of eliting sports club called pop you get to wear any kind of waistcoat you want if you get if you're really clever you get to have silver buttons and it's meant wow. to sort of and also there were there were teachers who um you handed in homework obviously like every week and on on the on the board the order of the class with just you would see it change sort of every week like who was top of the class and the year before i arrived they used to read out the exam results from bottom order from bottom so they would go 260 oh 200 in, in front of everyone 264th oh in the year was blah 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 well i'm quite interested in terms of in terms of actually like engineering a tory or like engineering <laughs> someone who would sort of um it, it, it ingrains in you from such a young age. I was only there 15 to seven, 16 to 18, sorry. So, you know, I was able to sort of, I hope not be fully kind of warped by it, but I do think it engineer, engineers a system that constantly makes you think of like, I need to be on top so someone can be at the bottom. And, mm. you know, being, I mean, being left wing was so transgressive there and, um, you know, and, and and it is just like a hallway to power, really. I don't know what mm. it's like now. I hear there's an LGBT society now. There was nothing like that when well, you were there. Oh no, definitely not. Though I was always the leading lady in the school productions. Oh, it's the main part. But did uh, and w I wanted to ask you about around that time. When did you start to differentiate between queerness and non-binariness, and how? Did you oh. find the language for that? And, you know, did you even have it then? And No, I mean, I definitely didn't have it then. I mean, I was, you know, 16. And I think at that point, I don't think I had even differentiated um, queerness from Britishness, really. <laughs> um, you know, I... Been in some scrapes. You know, but just, I just thought, you know, in that it's only now that I'm understanding kind of colonialism and, and why the Middle East has gone the way that it has, that I'm understanding that the Middle East was actually once quite progressive when it came to sexuality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, from that very small kid's eye, all I saw was in the Middle East, I was told that, you know, I was told I would be shot. I mean, families, would they would laugh about it, you know, oh yeah, shoot a gay person whenever you see them. And, or, um, or, you know, and when you're told what hell is, you know, you're, you're supposed to close your eyes and visualize it. And it's not a fun place, although not actually dissimilar to fire in Vauxhall. I just thought, yay, I'm in the UK where I've walked in Soho and seen gay people and they've not been shot. 
Um, yeah. So the West, British, you know, I, 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 I think I, I saw being gay as just like a renunciation of being Arab, which that's right. where I was. So I wasn't even dealing. I, ha- I was obviously dealing with gender dysphoria in a massive way. But <laughs> my, my way of dealing with it was to try and be one of the lads back then. And, you know, my God, like I even tried to play rugby and the like teacher, um, the teacher, too. oh God. And also the teacher was such a twat, like he knew how I would be pulverized and he made me hold the dump tackle so that everyone could practice tackling for an entire. <laughs> this Can is you where you go, that? reader, oh, I married terrible. him. Can you believe that? Yes, that's awful. Just like me. And also, I was so, so thin and scrawny, like in a worrying way. I was like, it was like I would have snapped. I did snap. Mm. I dislocated my shoulder, actually. Oh, no. The concept of gender dysphoria is is such a complex one isn't it because it's i it's very specific for individual people isn't it mm-hmm. and like cuz i didn't have the language when i was 14 let's say but i had a lot of gender dysphoria because i didn't match up to what other people were like and i went to a school a bit like you're describing and everyone it was just a weird atmosphere and all the rest of it but i think that what like the journey i sort of went on in my head was like Oh, gender dysphoria, like hating the feeling like I don't match up to the gender that people say I am feeling there's something wrong inside me, not really understanding it. But then kind of looping back on that and saying, actually, just because I don't match your shit idea of what it is to be your narrow idea of what it is to be a a man, that doesn't mean I'm not a man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but then, but but being non-binary is such a different thing and something that people who listen to this show feel who are non-binary feel underrepresented so I, but what was what is the difference there for you and and how did you get there yeah that's really interesting question and really yeah i think there are some kind of differences between um men who don't conform to kind of social tropes of masculinity to people who um, it's not only sort of tropes of masculinity. That's never really, I think, where my dysphoria came out, never really came out in terms of, oh, I don't like, I'm not saying this is what yours was like at all, but I'm Mm. just trying to kind of verbalize it. You know, I don't, I'm not strong or I'm not a fighter or I'm not into any of these things that the boys are. For me personally, and it's different for um every different non-binary person it was like a really strong identification with uh like the feminine but not just in terms of social tropes but in terms of um embodying it physically and dressing up um in a way that was really rejecting masculinity on every level so um by what i was wearing and the makeup that i was putting on and the, the you know just kind of language of my body and the way I wanted others to see me so to me it's never my kind of dysphoria has never come out of um, uh, a disidentification with what a man should be doing because um, I've never really I don't think I've ever really bought into that ever it was more like a oddly um, 
how I related to my own body and um, so it's not a rejection of 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 the masculine it was a it was an attraction to the feminine yeah and it was like a it was like a a deep uh relationship with it so much so that masculine signifies in terms of pronouns he or made me feel really uncomfortable but you know I wasn't really aware that I could change my pronoun really till quite you know till like five years ago so so um and it was also um definitely about actively trying to live in the in-between and in another space I don't think so I've been even if I'm like on a holiday with like 30 gay men um who are really feminine and maybe some of them you know but if the most of them define as men quite a holiday by the way Um, I went on one yeah yeah (laughs) um or like Mykonos where I just was which was its own kind of hell I'm not gonna lie um but I it's just like oh I'm really I don't feel in my body like I'm one of you and it's Mm. not um and it's because it's like I'm not Mm. identifying with manhood in any way um but if to me it was for me it came out of like a really deep attachment to femininity which has a lot to do with my mother and also um you know this like kind of aching desire to constantly dress up and wear feminine stuff and be perceived as feminine and you know i don't really know where that comes from and how i learned that but that is so that's where mine came out of and when did that i mean because i was thinking like that must be quite difficult to eat in when you've got to wear a Although in a way that sounds like what you're talking about, the different waistcoats and that sounds like drag of a kind. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, um, and this has always been the case since from a young age was I was always quite a natural performer and, and I could always embody that space in performance. And at Eton, which is obviously all boys school, I was always just the natural um, person I always just played the women and just felt so free in that way. And it was kind of weird. It was like whenever I played women in um, the school productions and was good and was funny, you know, all the boys who had previously bullied me were laughing and loving it and having a really, really great time. And I think it's that thing of potentially of when you're trying to be masculine and failing, it's easier to for people to come after you. But when I was embodying the feminine, which was so much more natural to me and doing it well, it's kind of quite hard to go after someone who's doing the thing that you think is a bit of a, you know, that's why drag is so wonderful because it's, you can't make fun of a drag queen because they're doing it to themselves. They're not even making fun of themselves. They're going, yeah, and what? And it's amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and that's really why drag has been so wonderful for me because all those things that I was taught were weaknesses suddenly are these things that are really galvanizing um, and, and take up so much space and are so much powerful that it would be weird if someone was like, you're an address mate. You're like, well, yeah, and I look great. So what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. Um, and so weirdly at school, the, the the times when I got bullied the least was when I just fully was in, embodied in femininity. Where's the parameters with yeah. And that was like, because everyone was like, oh, wow, well, that person clearly knows who they are. But when I was walking around going like, hey, lads and governors, like, check out my bitch here in this photo. People would be like, you're, you know. But then you had a, a beautiful moment 
where you were doing one of your first drag shows, which was really putting yourself out there, right? Mm-hmm. And you was, but there was this beautiful moment that was sort of the intersection of your queerness and your dragness and being a Muslim all coming together with th- these women who were watching the show. Oh. Tell us about that. <laughs> Hi everyone, isn't this the loveliest chat with Amrit? So that's the end of part one. Don't forget to join us for part two, which is available now. So it'll be next on your feed. Go find it, click on it and keep listening to our lovely chat with Amrit. Powered by Spirit Studios.